Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of fantasy romance and romantic fantasy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Well, that's good. Today is Tuesday. You know what that means. We're gonna have a special guest. Actually, we're not. Um, but you get points if you can identify that theme song from ages ago. Uh, Tuesday, August 3rd. Um, yay, August babies. I was amused at how many people uh, messaged me in some way saying, hey, I'm an August baby too. August babies obviously rule. Um, born, conceived uh, around Thanksgiving. I myself uh, disprove George Carlin's remark that no one ever gets laid on Thanksgiving because uh, my parents did. I was conceived on a two-day Thanksgiving leave. Ah, you know, you just need to not eat so much gravy. That's that's the key. So, TMI. Is that TMI, you guys? Uh, my mother will cheerfully tell you that herself. So, um, let's see what's going on. I, I'm going to start out with a little disclaimer because there is a new kerfuffle with RWA and Romancelandia and I don't think I've mentioned it on here but uh, I you know I let my RWA membership lapse I am no longer an RWA member I was sorry to do it I've been a member since 2008 RWA did a lot for me but uh, there's just um I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to say much about it. I, you know, and I know some of you would like me to, and I'm not going to because I feel like as president of CEFWA that, you know, I, I'm not going to talk about how other organizations run their business. You know, I feel like we're all in this together. I, I do feel like, um, writers organizations should not compete that um, we should collaborate as much as possible. And CEFWA has collaborated with RWA on many projects. Um, if they survive as an organization, you know, it'd be good to do that again. But I don't have any influence on how RWA runs their business. And, you know, it would be nice if people didn't eat up the kerfuffles with quite so much glee. Um, I know it's interesting, but it's just, there, there's something very unsavory to me about it, about the people who pounce on the, their kerfuffles. Uh, even if it's with righteous glee, it's still an unsavory glee to me. And I, there are many, many things I'm not saying. Uh, I have a problem with, uh, no, I'm going to put it this way. I am just not interested in building my brand on being loud in kerfuffles. You know, I'm, I'm an INTJ, you know, and I know some people don't agree with the Myers-Briggs, you know, it's too pigeonholing, but 
there are many things about being an INTJ that resonate with how I do things. And one of them is, is I'm, I'm a problem solver. You know, if, if there's a problem that I can affect and that I can solve, I, I'll do that. Um, right now, SIFWA is mine to, to guide. And you know what? It's plenty. And I don't believe that regardless of any of that, I don't believe that shouting on the internet solved much of anything at all. Um, instead, it feeds a side of people that, I don't know, it's not always um, productive. You know, if you, if you guys want to do something, if you want to change the world, change something in your life. That that's how it works. That's the uh, um, that's the Taoist way, you know. That you don't try to change the whole world. Husband's over there messing with the pump. I was seeing if he needed something. Uh, the pond pump isn't working. We do have a second lily blossom, though. See, that's what's important. Um, but yeah, that's uh, absolutely the Taoist perspective on life. It's one that I follow. It fits in with uh, my core beliefs in many, many ways is that you affect what you can, that um, you don't have to try to change everybody. In fact, changing everybody is a displacement activity or attempting to change everybody's displacement activity for working on yourself. You know, change your own self. And uh, if you listen to my podcast, you guys know that I am very much about authenticity. I am about uh, putting my beliefs into action. I, I, um, I give my time to Sephora because it's something that I feel is important and it's a way that I can affect the writing community in a positive way. Um, so that's all I'm going to say about it. Oh, hang on. Well, there's just going to be background noise. Um, so, uh, yesterday was a good day. I got more words written on Dragon's Daughter. I got my 3000 words in a relatively smooth amount of time. Another benefit of keeping your eyes on your own work. Um, it, it kind of kicked in yesterday. Last week, I was at a slow, sticky spot. There were things coming out in the story that I did not expect, and that kind of slowed me down. Um, but yesterday, it kind of um, started flowing again. That doesn't mean it'll flow forever, but that would be uh, a nice outcome, wouldn't it? I um I, I was on this panel on Friday night with Love Sweet Arrow. I don't know if um, some of you guys saw it. Uh, it's been recorded. I might be able to find the link because I think it's like up on YouTube or something. Uh, I'll look for that. Hopefully I'll remember by the time I get back inside. Uh, but it was a fun panel. Um, Jennifer Estep organized it. And then it was me, Leslie Penelope, and Lexi Ryan. And we had a lot of fun talking about stuff. And uh, Jen Reads Romance was our moderator. And she asked some great questions. 
and what was I going to say about that? Oh, someone in the audience asked what was the hardest thing for us about writing, which was a good question. And I said that for me, the hardest part, and maybe you guys could guess if you're a long time listener, is how every book is different. And that I think it's going to be fairly straightforward when I start out writing it. And then it uh, ends up going and being its own thing and it has a different structure and a different pattern. Dragon's Daughter has a different structure and a different dragon and that's part of what I was fighting last week. Um, there were things that really surprised me about how it was going. <clears throat> and it, and for me that's the hardest part. And it was funny because um, Jen Reed's Romance, who I don't know if I've interacted with much before, but she does a podcast with Sarah McLean, um, which I understand is a pretty good podcast. I, I haven't ever listened, but I, I know people who like it. Or at least in general. Uh, maybe I don't know anyone personally, but I think people like it. That's my general impression. I don't think they're part of the Frolic Podcast Network, for what it's worth. So at any rate, um, Jen said when I said that, because I said, well, I'm 35,000 words. Now I'm almost 40,000 words into this book and it's being different than I thought it would be. And I go through this on every book and she said, yeah, I guess a lot of people have trouble with middles. And then she went on to the next question. So I didn't argue with her, but I thought in some ways, cause she's not a writer, she's a reader. And so I'm sure she hears that from writers a lot, you know, that people struggle with middles, but it's not that. Um, I think there's two things going on there. And so I kind of wanted to, um, I guess I'm arguing with her here. Sorry, Jen, if you listen. Um, yeah, I didn't want to take the panel time to make the distinction, but I do think it's an important distinction. The reason that, and I think I've mentioned this before, but there's often um, people refer to the sagging middle or the soggy middle. I've heard it both way, both ways. Um, I've heard people on both sides of the fence, like the agent editor side and the writer side refer to uh, the sagging middle and how it's a problem. And the reason that there's a sagging middle is, and this, and I got this advice a long time ago, and I, I totally think that is true. It's if you do not have your act one set up properly, if you do not have that first 25%, again, this is Western narrative. I can't speak to a different kind of narrative. Somebody is um, really good at narratives from a different culture. It would be interesting to hear uh, if middles have the same problem or if you uh, deal with them in the same way. But uh, that first 25% is where you have all the stakes set and the it's the foundation for the rest of the story. Um, in Hero's Journey, we talk about is get your hero up a tree. Middle is throw rocks at them. Last part is getting them down again. Getting them up that tree is critical because after that, you're throwing rocks at them, right? They're up in that tree and you're throwing rocks at them. So they've got to be in a really good tree and they've got to be in a good tree for a good reason. And there have to be a lot of reasons why they can't get out of the tree. That last act is all about getting them out of the tree again. So obviously throwing rocks at them is an oversimplification, right? Because that's the middle 50% of the book, you know, that's, they have to be really interesting rocks, but 
if you set up that first act properly, then that middle section will follow along. My problem, and I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> Thank you. Is that because I'm an intuitive writer, because I'm a gardener, the middle section, I know kind of what the rocks are going to be and how it's going to go. But sometimes I'm surprised. I end up with a rock in my hand that I'm like, really? Really? Is this, this is not the rock I expected. I'm, and a lot of times I don't want to hurl it because I'm afraid it's going to hurt my characters. So, and also I might find, I'm trying to figure out how to extend this analogy, that my characters have leapt into an entirely different tree than I expected. And, um, and I'm chasing after them with the rocks. And for me, a lot of it is this ongoing tussle between trying to control the story and not control the story. Um, I, I wish sometimes I wish I was better at controlling the story, but that just doesn't work for me. Um, Dorinda and I were talking yesterday about that because um, she was asking me how Bright Familiar was doing. And I was telling her that about this month's sales, uh, which are phenomenal. I mean, you guys have been so awesome supporting these books. It's, uh, it's amazing. It's just amazing. And I have, uh, I have made more in indie sales so far this year officially than I have made in an entire year of any other. And I am on my way to um, another month or two. I'll have suppressed my best year of, ever of indie and trad combined sales, which is what I really needed to be able to do. And it's, and it's phenomenal. And, you know, I mentioned the other day about the, the idea of like trying to win the lottery and Emily Ma brought this up, um, which I think is really opened up my eyes to some things. Cause she said that she had been trying to win the lottery in some ways in that she was trying to write spending years, um, along with other people who are like part of a crit group with her of writing, you know, essentially the best American novel. Um, or the great American novel, I guess that's what I wanted to say, um, which is a bit of a cliche, but it also reflects this idea that, that you spend years and years and years laboring to create the one great work and hope that that gets you the golden ticket, that it snags the brass, brass ring and that you become famous. And certainly this is a trope we see over and over again in movies, actually to the point where I'm kind of tired of it, you know, like the reclusive writer who uh, wrote one book that was hugely successful and then never wrote anything else again. I guess people are like fascinated by the Salinger model. Well, you know, you guys, this is not a healthy model. This is not, you know, I'm all about creative productivity, which means being a creative person, being productive, getting your works out into the world, making a living from it, which fits nicely with my mission as SEPWA president. You know, but I, I do think that you should be able to make a living as a creative. There's, 
no, there's no romance to being the tortured creative who writes one book and then never does anything ever again. Uh, it may be fascinating for a story, you know, there's a tree, right? But, um, boy, you don't want to live your life up a tree people. <laughs> Words of wisdom. So I'm not quite sure how I got down that path. How did I end up in that particular tree? Oh, Dorinda and I were talking about this and and Emily was saying about oh yeah the lottery thing and for me maybe I would have done it that way but I have never written the one book that launched everything for me but I have been plugging away at it um you know and sometimes people say to me like wow it's so impressive that you write so many books and it's like well I've had to <laughs> I have to write a lot of books because um, that's how I do it. You know, like each of my books makes some money and and that adds together. And so that's that's the model that that I work from. And it's interesting because I have readers who love some series and not others. I have readers who read all of them. So Dorinda was saying that uh, oh yeah that was that was the whole point. I, my point and I did have one um, that she was very glad that Bright Familiar was selling as well as it did and she said that she was relieved going and looking at the reviews because she was worried because nothing happens in the book <laughs> which she has said to me before and then and, and she immediately tries to take it back and she's like no it's not that nothing happens. I know lots happen. I'm getting my my particular ray of sunlight. There we go. She's like, I know things happen. It's just, she said, if I'd written this, I would have worried so much about trying to make more things happen. And I mean, Dorinda is hugely more successful than I am. So it would be good for me to take a page from her book, as it were, and, you know, do more to make things happen. But it just doesn't work that way for me, you guys. I, I try to, I go in with the best of intentions that I'm going to make certain things happen. And then the book fights me and, and I can't get it written. And so it's only when I let go and let the book be what it wants to be. Um, and then the case of Bright Familiar, I mean, I love how I do love some of the reviews I've been seeing on Bright Familiar and I am immensely relieved that people like it, um, as much or better than Dark Wizard, which is fantastic. Uh, and people say, you know, it's not the one thing to the next that Dark Wizard was. You know, Dark Wizard, is, you know, is a chase and a journey. And they've said, by contrast, Bright Familiar is almost cozy. It's almost a, a cabin in the woods story. And, and I love that about it because there's all this stuff that had to happen. And, and if you guys are, if you're a long-term podcast listener, you remember hearing me talk about how Bright Familiar was following a different structure than I thought it would have. And it's like, there were all these things that I needed to do in that book to basically to set up the next phase of the story. And I'm glad that it's such a good story, even though nothing happens. <laughs> she takes it back. She totally takes it back because then she'll also say, but it's so good. And she's like, I don't understand why it's such a compelling story when nothing happens. Gotta love her. 
so anyway, that's that's kind of my thing about middles, and I'm not sure if I if I made coherent sense on that, but but there's a difference between um, the sagging middle where you need to do, which means you need to go back to the beginning and and figure out about getting them up the tree better, and <laughs> the sun's really chasing me here, and finding yourself part way through and and doing your best not to fight the book um you know maybe it comes back down to like whether or not you're an intuitive writer or not um i you know dorinda jennifer Eastep, other writer friends of mine they like control the book they're like the book is going to do this and this and this and i think that's really cool and it's just not how I write. And you guys know my mantra, correct? Oh, <laughs> this is what I get for, uh, here we go. Now you can see some of the grape fiber. Uh, you guys know my mantra, which is find out what your process is and own it. And so that's what I do. So on that note, escaping the approaching rising sun, I'll remind you all that first cup of coffee is part of the Frolic Media Podcast Network, and you will find more podcasts you love or will love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I will talk to you all Thursday. You take care. Bye-bye.